The following presentation was recorded at a Christian Light Education workshop. More information at clp.org. For those of you who have already received your handout, you will notice that I have the, this topic this afternoon divided into three sections, principles, properties, and practices. We will be looking at them in that order. The principles are the things that an effective leader remembers. We'll be looking at the properties or attributes of effective leaders. And lastly, we'll be looking at a few of his practices or things that he does. For a beginning verse, I would like to draw your minds to Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. For those of you who have Bibles, turn with me to that passage, please. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, it says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and should stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. This is the Lord speaking to the city of Jerusalem specifically and to the land of Judea generally, and he charges them with seven things. He charges them with idolatry, with murder, with disobedience to parents, with oppression and extortion, with profanation of the holy, with uncleanness and immorality, and with forgetting God. He charges them with these things in the first 22 verses of this chapter. And then as he moves into the end of the chapter, he makes the statement that because the prophets, the priests, and the princes had not taught those who had been called to teach, because they had not taught the things that they should have taught to staunch the inflow of evil and outflow of good, he was going to pour out his indignation on them. Now, you may not think of yourself this morning as a prince, or excuse me, this afternoon as a prince, but you are the son of a king if you're a Christian. You may not think of yourself as a priest, but we're called to be kings and priests for God. We have been called to teach, and we have a responsibility to stand in the gap, to staunch the inflow of evil and outflow of good. And my goal this afternoon is to present points and principles to you from the Scriptures that will give you the ability to fulfill that responsibility of standing in the gap. You will discover as I go through this topic that the general points will apply to you whether you're a godly business leader, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a parent, or even a preacher. But the specific applications are going to be narrowed down to the classroom. First of all, three principles of preparation that every effective leader will remember as he prepares for the calling God may have for him. The first thing an effective leader remembers to do as he prepares for that calling is he needs to remember who his leader is. In Matthew chapter 4, when Christ came calling his disciples, he said, follow me. And this afternoon, I'm going to ask you this question. Have you left all to follow Christ? If, excuse me, as we leave all to follow Christ, we will become as Christ's disciples became. We will become men and women with a message. We will be those who have seen and heard something that we want to transmit to those around us. But that only happens as we follow him. And we will be, as it says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 3, where John is writing and he says, That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, that declare we unto you. We'll have a message that will be worth 
transmitting to those around us as we follow our leader. As a result of following their leader, these men were prepared for ministry. The second point of preparation is effective leaders remember to lay down their lives for their followers as Christ laid down his life for his followers. The call to lead is a call to die. I would like you to remember this. The best leaders are the best servants. In Luke chapter 22, verse 27, Christ taught, For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth. And then he says, I am among you as he that serveth. As we lay down our lives for those that we are responsible for, we will have the opportunity to rise on the shoulders of those we have caused to rise. And those of us who have classroom responsibilities serve our students by coming to class prepared. That is a lot of work. I know it. Personally, as you know it personally as well. We will serve our students by helping them maintain their morale, even if they are a struggling student. We will serve our, those we have been called to work with. Thirdly, a third principle of preparation, effective leaders remember that leadership is given, not gotten. Remember David, though he was anointed by the prophet of the Lord to be the king of Israel, he did not fight with either Saul or Absalom for his position because he realized that this position was given to him by God and if God wanted him to have this position, he had the power to put him where he wanted him. He didn't have to fight for it or defend it. Christ, though sent by his Father, did not begin to preach until he was publicly proclaimed by his Father to be the one to whom we should listen. And Paul, though seemingly commissioned early on in his Christian life to be an apostle to the Gentiles, did not go out preaching and being the apostle we knew until he was sent by the church. If you sense that you're being called to teach, prepare yourself. But don't go campaigning for the job. Moving on to the principles of fulfillment. The things, the principles that effective leaders remember as they fulfill their responsibility. There are three relational principles that effective leaders remember. The first one is the importance of faith for, the importance of faith for obedience and confidence. The fruit of faith is obedient, and the fruit of obedience is faith. God told Noah, build an ark. Noah went and built an ark, and as a result of that, his faith increased and he had confidence. As we are called to do something and we obey the dictates of the, of the Scripture, our confidence will grow and we will have the ability to deal with the things that are at hand that need to be dealt with. Again, drawing your minds to David... David was faithful as he was taking care of the sheep. And because he was faithful in what God had given him to do, he had the confidence to stand up to Goliath. And because Saul had not obeyed and what he had been called to do, he did not have the confidence to stand up to Goliath. His faith was lost. Secondly, the second principle of fulfillment is effective leaders will remember to give up what is right for what is better. David, excuse me, Abraham left his culture for his integrity. David left his home for the kingdom of Israel. Peter and Andrew left their nets for Christ. Paul left a comfortable life for the gospel of Christ. And Christ left heaven for us. I'm going to give you the question again. What have you given up for the cause of the kingdom and for the cause 
of training these souls whom you have been given responsibility for. If you embrace the calling to teach, you will probably give up a degree of financial stability. You will probably give up the opportunity to do something that is more enjoyable to you. Very likely you'll give up a less stressful lifestyle. And last but not least, it's not uncommon to give up a good reputation. When you are called to teach, someone has thought highly of you, and as you teach, sometimes you lose that reputation. Are you willing to do that for the cause of the kingdom and for the cause of these souls? The third principle of fulfillment is effective leaders remember the intrinsic value of each individual that has been placed in their care. The Orientals have an art form where they use trees instead of canvases. They have these little trees called bonsais. And what they do with these trees is, these, is a bonsai master takes them and he trims their roots and he trims their branches and he trains the little trunk and the branches that are left. And their goal is, is to make these little tiny trees that are somewhere between five inches and about two feet tall look incredibly ancient. And some of them are very, very old. The oldest known living bonsai at the present is around 500 years old. 500 years old. That means that it was growing and being, they were already working with it about the time Columbus was splashing around in the Atlantic. Now imagine with me that this tree was in your family. Somebody over in the old world had taken this tree and had been started training it and started taking care of it, and it had been handed down through the various generations until you came across the Atlantic to the New World. And today that person brought it to you and handed it to you and said, take care of this tree, continue to train this tree, and pass it on to the next, gener next generation. Try to wrap your mind around the feelings that would go through your life if somebody handed you that tree. Now try to wrap your mind around this one. God has come to you and he has handed you one of his masterpieces. And he has said, take care of it, train it, mold it. And don't hand it to just the next generation. Hand it back to me in eternity. What awe, what caution, and what humility should that inspire in our lives? As we work with these sometimes pesty little boys and giggly little girls, that even the worst of them is a masterpiece of God. Can we really grasp that? Effective leaders also remember the power of God. Christ took 12 motley men, worked with them for two to three years, somewhere in that time span. And boy, Peter would have ticked me off so many times, his loud, rapid-firing mouth. But Christ continued to work with him and the rest of them recognizing what they would become when God touched them with His Spirit. Can we recognize what these students of ours can become instead of exactly where they are today? Recognizing that when the power of God touches their life, these men can be powerful men in his, their kingdom, men and women in His kingdom. Thirdly, as... Effective leaders fulfill their responsibilities. They will remember that these students are not solely theirs. These students have come to us from their parents, and their parents are ultimately responsible for them. 
teachers, especially the young teachers here, remember that your authority begins when they walk through the door and ends when they walk out that classroom door. You have no more authority than what has been given to you in that situation. But I would like to leave this question with you. Though your authority may end at the classroom door, what part of your influence is going to go with them? About a month or two ago, a brother that I used to work with, who is now in another community, wrote this to me about a young man that I taught. He says, I can see your imprint on his life, especially in his public speaking, presentation, and delivery. I hope he got more than just that from me. I hope he got godly characteristics having, have, from having worked under me. What part of your imprint is going to be placed on these students when they walk out the door? In summary of this section on principles, effective leaders remember the principles. They start with the principles, they build with the principles, and they check themselves against the principles. Moving on to our second section on the properties or attributes of effective leaders. We're going to be looking at who an effective leader is. Relationally, effective leaders are respectful. I'm going to submit a thought to you that may be new to some of you, but before you just nix it and throw, out, throw it out the window, I'd like you to think about it for a little bit. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it speaks of David as a man after God's own heart. What was it about David that made him a man after God's own heart? And I presume most, if not all of you, have heard the teaching that David was a man after God's own heart because he repented when he sinned. And I'm not here to deny that that was part of the reason he was a man after God's own heart. But I would like to submit to you this afternoon that another reason he was a man after God's own heart was because he respected the Lord's anointed. Saul had been chasing him from one end to, of the country to the other, trying to pin him down and kill him. Saul was out of his place. And twice, David had the opportunity to take Saul out. And he said, I'm not going to touch him because he's the Lord's anointed. And then after the Saul killed himself in battle, and um, the young man comes running, he says, I took Saul's life. David was like, off with your head. And then he saw to it that Saul had a proper burial, and he genuinely mourned Saul's departure. He respected Saul, even though Saul was not a man worthy of respect, because he was the Lord's anointed. Can you be like David and look out for the good of others, even when they are bent on your destruction, and respect them for who they are? Second principle of relation that effective leaders remember, or second property of effective leaders, is they are peacemakers. Remember Abraham. Abraham and Lot's servants were butting heads over where to feed their cows and that kind of stuff. Abraham goes to Lot and he says, you choose which way you're going to go, and I'll go the other direction. That was a man of peace. His son Isaac was also a man of peace. He dug three wells before he had one to use. As a teacher, you are going to be a person who has access to all kinds of information that should be kept confidential. Are you going to be a man of peace and keep it confidential? 
Or are you going to be the other kind of peacemaker, P-I-E-C-E, that kind of peacemaker, by being, spreading those juicy little bits of gossip? Thirdly, effective leaders are exemplary. Paul told Timothy, be thou an example. Another place Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And this afternoon, I'm going to ask you this question. Can you tell that those you are responsible follow me? If you can't, go do something else. Go raise crops. Go feed cows. Go drive truck. Go fix cars. Go bake bread. Go do something else. But don't stay in the classroom being a hypocrite, telling them to do as I say and not as I do. Personal properties of effective leaders include three points as well. Effective leaders are like a window. They are transparent in two ways. First of all, they're transparent. They're void of guile and of show. They live their lives being who God has created them to be, do what needs to be done with the least amount of flamboyance and drama to get the job done. Secondly, they lead in such a way that they're as invisible as possible and God is as visible as possible. They're transparent like a window. You know, several years ago, I had the opportunity to work with a man who had been a CPA for, I think it was 10 or 15, maybe even 20 years. He'd been a CPA for a while. And he switched careers and became a teacher. And after he'd been teaching for a while, I asked him one day, what's the difference between being a CPA and a teacher? He says, well, he says, it used to be if I was traveling somewhere, I'd get on the plane and sit down and, you know, the person next to me, we'd make up small talk and the person would say, well, what do you do for work? And I'd say, I'm a CPA. And they're like, oh yeah, do taxes. He says, now, I say I'm a teacher. And he says, it's like I screwed on a halo or had this aura come on around me. And they're like, oh, you're a teacher. And they begin, proceed to tell you something about a favorite teacher of theirs. Teaching, in his, as, he looked, as he observed that, he says teaching is an honorable or respectful position. A whole lot more than the other professions that he had worked in. Now I would like you to think about this. If you are a teacher, you're in an honorable position. You're being, in some ways, put on a pedestal. When people look up at you, what do they see? Do they see you? Or are you so transparent that they can see God? Effective leaders are meek. In the Think about Moses for a moment. God gave him the daunting task of leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He goes down to Egypt to lead the children of Israel out. And it didn't go the way he expected. And soon the children of Israel blaming him for making it worse. And finally, after things go around and around and around for several times, Pharaoh kicks them out, and Moses leads them out through the Red Sea, and they get out there in the wilderness, and the first thing they start to do is to mumble and grumble and complain and kick up fits. And this goes on and on and on, and finally he gets them over there to the Mount Sinai, and God says, Moses, come up here in the mountain, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do with these people. And while, they're, while he's up there in the mountain, God looks down, and there the people are worshiping the golden calf. And God says, Moses, he says, I'm going to just... Wipe them out and start all over with you. And Moses goes to bat for them. Moses, the meekest man on earth, was bearing injury with patience and without resentment. Can you as a teacher continue to look out for the good of those students that don't like you? Can you as a teacher take that unfair scolding from your board and continue to respect them? Can you as a teacher, when the parents rake you across the coals for not dealing with their discipline problems, still look out for the good of their children? 
and respect them as well. Second, or thirdly, effective leaders are courageous. In Joshua chapter 1, we find Joshua was taking over from, from one of the eminent leaders in all of history, and he was given the responsibility of leading a people without backbone into uncharted territory. And God says, be strong and of a good courage. Be strong and of a good courage. And I don't know where you are in your teaching career, but maybe you're a new teacher this afternoon taking over from a senior teacher that was well-respected in the community. Be strong and of a good courage. Maybe you're a teacher that has taught for a number of years and you're dealing with, it seems, insurmountable problems in your classroom. Be strong and of a good courage. And just like Joshua, after he led the people into the land of promise, they went down to fight with Ai, and they had a reversal. He still had to be strong and of a good courage. You are going to face reversals in your classroom, and again I say it, be strong and of a good courage. Looking at the visional properties of effective leaders, the, the idea of visional is the ability to see beyond the present. Effective leaders have both a vision as well as a practical plan for arriving at that vision. I know probably most of you have seen somebody that's been smoking marijuana. You know, they sit there and they smoke their joint, and then they start coming off with these really grandiose ideas how they're going to build a building, and it's going to have pulleys and stuff going up and down. And those visions never come to fruition. Getting a little, more close, a little closer home, we have met those people that aren't high on marijuana, and they have these wonderful ideas about things that should be done, but they never come to fruition. If you are going to be an effective leader, you've got to be one that has a vision for something better, a vision for a way to possibly do it better, and you must have the ability to come up with a practical plan for arriving there. And as you come up with that plan, not only do you have to have a plan, you have to have the ability to communicate that plan to those around you. And if you're going to have that ability to communicate a plan to those around you, you need to remember Nehemiah. You remember he went down to the city of Jerusalem, and it was in shambles. And he went riding at night, surveying the damage. As you develop a vision and a plan and the ability to communicate that plan, vision and plan to those around you, if you're going to do that, you are going to have to ride around your academic subjects. You're going to have to ride around your spiritual challenges. And you're going to have to spend time thinking about how to deal with this and come up with a practical plan for proceeding. Visionally, effective leaders are individuals from the wilderness. Think about Moses. He had the idea that he was supposed to lead these children of Israel out of the land of Egypt when he was about 40 years old. And he went out there to see what could be done about this. God sent him to the wilderness for 40 years. And when he came back, he had a changed paradigm. He still had the vision for getting these children of Israel out, but his worldview had changed. Think of David. We already spoke of him a little bit. He spent 10 years eluding Saul. When he got done eluding Saul, when Saul took himself out, his paradigm or his worldview had changed. Think about Paul. He spent 14 years in the wilderness, and his worldview changed during that time. 
If you are going to be an effective leader, you will spend time in the wilderness, and it's very likely you will have spent time in the wilderness already. You will have had those times when everything that you knew was right seemed to have been shaken. And you are forced to go back to God and to reconsider what is the truth. What does God want from me? And you'll often have to do stand for that seemingly alone. Teach, and that wilderness is sure to come. Thirdly, effective leaders are circumspect. Remember Gideon. In Judges chapter 6, we find him threshing his wheat down into well, and the angel of God shows up. And right away, he starts, he's like, you know, where's this God of Israel? I mean, we heard about all the wonderful things he did back there, and just look at what's going on around us. Where is this God of Israel? He was looking around. He was observing carefully. He was listening to what was going on, listening astutely and thinking deeply. You've got to be circumspect if you're going to be an effective leader. And another thing effective leaders remember as they are circumspect is they remember that they will become, or often will become, well-known. And I take that from Joshua chapter 6, verse 27, where it says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the land. If you are circumspect, you will recognize the possibility that when you have done a good job, your fame will be noised throughout all the land. And you will be aware that it doesn't go to your head. In summary of this section, effective leaders are, We teach a lot by what we say, more by what we do, and the most by who we are. And we will look at the practices of effective leaders, what they do as they fulfill their responsibilities. First of all, we'll look at his directional practices, the road that he will choose. The first thing that an effective leader does is he habitually seeks God's face. Christ The Son of God spent nights in prayer with his Father. David, the man after God's own heart, writes of spending nights worshiping God. Have you, do you habitually seek God's face in daily reading of his word and in praying? And another thing, and I say this with, say this to those of us who have had more years in the classroom, the more experienced teachers in this setting, I ask you to remember Joshua and the Gibeonites. Joshua had had some success, and the Gibeonites heard about it, and they came down and they pulled the trick off on Joshua that you know all about. Because Joshua did not seek the Lord's face, something was admitted into the history of the children of Israel that I don't personally don't believe was really God's will to have happened. Those of us who have had several years of teaching experience can easily get to the place that we can look at something like, I've seen that before, you need to do that, rather than spending time seeking God's face. Experience is a blessing. It is a resource. But remember, it is just that, a resource, not the resource. Secondly, effective leaders choose the right road over the easy road. David honored the Lord's anointed. That was the right road over the easy road. Daniel prayed when he recognized that it may cost him his life. That was the right road over the easy road. Nehemiah dealt with the marriage situation in the land of Israel. Again, that was the right road over the easy road. 
As a teacher, you will need to remember that you must obey the Word of God. You must discipline when necessary. You must be respectful. And it's awful hard at times to do that. You need to remember to follow the right road, not the easy road. Thirdly, effective teach. Excuse me, getting tongue tied. Effective teachers do unto others as they would have others do unto them. They live the golden rule. I would like to make one comment under this point. Remember that mercy rejoices against judgment. As teachers, we have the privilege of really clamping down on some people. But mercy is doing the least amount necessary to produce the needed correction. Be merciful. Instructionally, effective leaders articulate their messages clearly. In Timothy, it's one of the qualifications of a bishop is that he is supposed to be apt to teach. Now you say, I'm not a bishop. Well, I know you're not a bishop. At least most of you here are not bishops. But it would seem logical to me that teachers should be apt to teach. And if we continue reading in the books of Timothy, we get to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, and we again find the phrase, apt to teach. And I find it interesting that the phrase apt to teach is pinned between gentleness and meekness. If you are going to be an effective, godly teacher that articulates your message clearly, you are going to have to be meek and gentle as you instruct. Another part of being able to articulate your messages clearly is that you will have spent enough time and focus on the subject that you know, number one, what is the core concepts you want to cross, and number two, you will have at least one plan and possibly two or three backup plans for getting that message across as you teach. Secondly, instructionally effective leaders take breaks. Christ led his disciples aside and gave them a break. As a teacher, you need to remember to make sure your students get recess. Don't short them on recess. And so you're going along and you look up and you're like, whoa, I ran past recess time. Try not to do that. But if that does happen, don't snip off their time. Give them a little extra time at the end of recess so they have their full 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever time you have for recess. Don't short them on recess and occasionally, occasionally, give them some enjoyable diversions during the school year. Give them a break. Instructionally, effective leaders also know when to say no. When you start teaching, if you do a good job of teaching, it's easy for other people to think, well, if he can teach, he should be able to do this. And they start to give you this responsibility and that responsibility and another responsibility. And at some point, they're going to do one of several things. They're going to give you something that you don't have time to do. You can't physically do it. Or they'll give you something that is outside of your intellectual ability to do. Or they'll give you something that you just really aren't good at. And at times like that, you need to have the wherewithal to be able to say no so that you can continue to effectively do what you have been primarily called to do. Effective leaders know when to say no. Positionally, where will you find effective leaders? You will find effective leaders in front of God when the going gets tough. 
So the children of Israel started murmuring. Moses cries unto God. And you continue to read, and the people started to murmur and plan to stone him. And you find him in front of God. David, after they came back to Ziklag and found the city burned and their wives taken, and the men wanted to stone him, you find him in front of God. Where will we find you when the going gets tough? How many nights have you wrestled with God in prayer? Secondly, effective leaders lead. Now you say, of course, effective leaders lead. But the point I want to bring out is there's a difference between ruling and dictating and leading. Think for a moment. Think for a moment about... Let me skip that section. They rang the bell on me. Um, I'm going to tell you a story of my dad. It's from my experience. I'm a hard-driving man. And a piece of information or, or a piece of advice from my dad was, he says, lead gently. Don't push him as hard as you push yourself. If you're a hard-driving person, lead him gently. Try to walk with him. Don't just always be out there in front forging along. Several years ago, I had a neighbor that had this bumper sticker on his car. Politicians are like dogs. They always try to figure out which way the people are going and then get in front. That's not leadership. Don't be a dog. Walk with your people. Try to do your best to walk with your people and point out the glories of God as you go along. That's also part of being transparent. Okay. Effective leaders go to God. Effective leaders lead. Effective leaders remember how old their students are. And one last story before I conclude or move into my closing. Remember how old your students are. And I'm not necessarily talking about their birthdays, though that's good. A, couple, a year or so ago, an older brother told me this story. He was laid up with, well, not laid up, but he was injured, and he couldn't go out and play at recess time. And he was sitting in school one day, and they had this new snowfall. And it came lunchtime, and the teacher dismissed the children. They went out to play recess. And as he was, he was sitting inside watching the boys play recess, the teacher was sitting there close to him, you know, just watching the children play, and one of the boys goes rolling a snowball along, boom, rolls it up under the teacher's car in front of the tire. Well, the thing soon got snorted, and the, it continued to snowball. Um, snowballs, got, they packed in the tires, and then they packed in the car, and then by the end of recess, the car was all covered with snow. End of recess, the teacher goes out, and he blows the whistle. Children came in. Last recess comes around. Teacher says, well, boys, he said, y'all had a lot of fun covering my car up, but I'd like to go home this evening. Can y'all uncover it this recess? And so a bunch of sheepish boys went out. <laughs> and the car was uncovered by the end of recess. Yes, those boys should have known better than to cover that car up. And yes, the teacher would have had the opportunity of made a bigger scene out of the thing than he did. But because he and his wisdom remembered that boys will sometimes be boys, he remembered how old they were. Years later, his wisdom is still being proclaimed. Remember how old your students are. Sometimes they goof up because they're children. That is no excuse for not dealing with it when they're being rebellious. In closing, I'd like to draw your minds to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I'm going to take some words out of this and make it applicable to us who are teachers. It says, God gave teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come unto a perfect man. Think of all the examples I mentioned this afternoon. Moses, David, Joshua, and many others. 
They started with a lousy bunch of people. And as they worked with that lousy bunch of people, God perfected them as they perfected their people. In conclusion, we do not, we do not know what it, was, what it was like for them to hear the words, well done, as they stepped from mortality into immortality. But rest assured that if you follow these principles and points that were mentioned today from the Scriptures, when you step from mortality into immortality, you as well will be able to hear the words, well done. May God bless you. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit thedocforlearning.org.